feel a bit nervous when I'm giving, giving my full title. <laughs> um, let us start with a word of prayer. Uh, dear Father, Lord, um, it is great to be here together, Lord, united as one body. Uh, for that is what you so desire in us, to be united. Lord, um, I thank you, Lord, for blessing us with, with friends and family, um, with all the different groups that go on in the church, uh, D groups, uh, which I'm eternally grateful for, Lord, for fellow disciples who challenge me, who discipline me when I need to be disciplined, Lord. Lord, these are good things. These are things that you wish. I thank you, Lord, for not just blessing us with great song leaders, with people who can really sort of give of themselves to the church and for the congregation, uh, but for the, the kingdom kids leaders, Lord. Lord, you know, you really do sort of bless us with some amazing people. We pray that you can be with them today, Lord, as I preach. I pray that my, my words are no longer my own, but are yours. Um, that they mean something more than I intended them to be. I thank you and I praise this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It's been quite a while since I was last preaching. I think it was about a year ago. Um, and I don't know whether many people remember what I spoke about. It was about grace. I can see Paul remembers. He's laughing away at the back. He's, you won't be disappointed, Paul. You won't be disappointed. <laughs> um, anyway, I want to continue off from that point. Um, and I want to start off with um, a video, that uh, a little clip that's going to be played in a second. Before you play that, let's, I, just, I just want to sort of give a little bit of an intro. Um, this is a clip that I played last time. Um, and it's about a Kalahari bushman, and he's looking for water, and there's a way that he does it, and I'm going to... Well, Cameron, can you play the clip, please? This is just for Paul, by the way. <laughs> First, he laboriously drills a hole in a giant ant heap when he is sure a baboon is watching him, because he knows baboons are incurably inquisitive. Next, he puts some wild melon seeds into the hole and works them in so that they drop into a hollow. Then he saunters off, knowing the baboon is burning with curiosity. The baboon doesn't trust that human being at all, so he plays it cool. But he's dying to know what gives in that confounded hole. Finally, Mr. Inquisitive can't take it any longer. He's got to know what's in there. He reaches in, grabs a fistful, and now his hand's too big to come out. If he had the sense to drop the seed, he could free his hand. Now he lets go when it's too late. So that was... Sorry, that, that, that's, that's your lot. And the title of the sermon is Letting Go. <laughs> so it does tie in. Um, in Gordon Ferguson's book, uh, Victory of Surrender, he is reminded of a story of a man who's climbing a mountain. This man is climbing a mountain, he's getting near the top, and he, he stumbles, and he slips, and he ends up sort of holding on by this bush on the top of this mountain 
And he starts shouting for help. And he said, help, help, help. Somebody help me. As the bush is about to sort of give way. And then he hears this voice and it says, I can help you. Who is it? I'm the Lord. The man offers praises and gratitude to God. And then he asks, God, what do you want me to do now? Let go of the bush. After a long silence, the man yelled, Is there anybody else there? (laughs) The thing is, we need to let go of some things. There's a lot of things that can sort of burden us in in our lives. And only we have the power to let go. And God wants you to let go. You might think, well, why does he want you to let go? Well, let's read Matthew 10, verses 28 to 31. It says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. See, the point is God loves us. He loves us so much that I struggle to understand it. Uh, it is, the love is so intense. Because who else would sort of give their very own son just to give us a chance he loves us and he wants us to fulfill our godly destiny because in that there is great joy in Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2 it says therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. We are called to sort of take part in this race. I suppose whether we like it or not, we're in the race of life. And it's a case of which direction are you heading and what are you focusing on? I want us to... uh, Cameron, could you play the, the next clip, please?
Well, that's quite something, isn't it? <laughs> uh, we're in a race. We're in a race. And it's a race unlike any other race. Um, it's a race where we're actually being chased by something. A saint is hot on our heels. We may not... Perhaps some of us perhaps don't believe this. Maybe you're coming for the first time today and you're thinking, Ah, nobody's after me. Believe me. People, Satan is after you. And you've got a number of options. You can either go with the flow, stop, take a photo, jump over the side, or run. Run as if you're running to victory, to the end. And what waits for you at the end, as you saw in that race, there was great crowds sort of celebrating the fact that you made it. You made it to the end. The point is, when you're in a race, what are you going to be wearing? You didn't see any guys there with backpacks or sort of hiking boots, etc. These guys, they were probably wearing sort of trainers. They're pretty light. And that's what this is about. This is about, we need to get rid of that excess stuff that surrounds us, that distracts us, that slows us down in that race. As runners in the race of life, our focus needs to be on Christ alone. With that, we can start releasing some of these things. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. And so that, after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Here Paul was talking about... sort of. Uh, the ancient uh, Olympics, the games, the Olympic games back then. They didn't have gold, silver and bronze medals. You either won or you lost. There were no, well, you were five seconds behind. That didn't count. You either won or you lost. There was no second place. Winning was everything. Paul encouraged the believers in Corinth to run the race of a Christian life. To obtain the prize. And according to Paul, believers are to compete by being temperate or exercising self-control in their personal behaviour. Those competing in the ancient games trained for some ten months in the gymnasium beforehand. They treated it seriously. And interestingly, uh, the name gymnasium comes from the ancient Greek term for gymnos, meaning naked. Athletes actually competed naked in the games. They were not constricted by anything. Everything was revealed. I'm not saying in what we do that we should be sort of naked, but the whole point is that we're meant to be stripped down to the fact that this is who we are. There is nothing else that's holding on to us that we're grasping hold of. This is who we are. I do not think in order to exercise ourselves in godliness there has to be um, 
in, in being godly, in exercising godliness, there's got to be something that gives. There's got to be something that we let go of. Otherwise, we're missing something. We're missing the point. By being naked, by removing all this stuff that surrounds us, we are free. Jesus strips us of our sin. Like in the Garden of Eden, we are free to run in God's presence. And that's what we need to have in our mind. Are we free to run in God's presence or is there something preventing us? In Romans 12 verse 1 it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Our human tendency is to believe we have the ability to unclog our lives without God. That's our human tendency. We can do it. We're strong. We can do it. But in the process, we find that we end up clogging our lives up further and further. The truth is, many of us don't want to change. We think of ourselves too highly to change. We're happy where we are. That's enough. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, if we see ourselves as we should, what would that be? I mean, if you think of being naked, it's not perhaps a pleasant thought. Because we are revealed warts and all. See, the thing is, if we look, if we compare ourselves to God, which is a very dangerous thing to do, we are seen as worthless in God in terms of where we stand. But God loves us all the same. But if we think of ourselves as we are literally the bottom of the bottom then, There really isn't a problem in giving God anything. Because we can then accept and hang on to the grace that Jesus gave us. Because we understand its worth. We think we're worthless. And that grace gives us the opportunity to see heaven. Something so glorious that it is very hard to imagine then everything kind of pales. You just... It's, well, that really doesn't matter at all. But we've got to have that in our minds. It's only the surrendered heart that God can guide towards his kingdom purpose. Only the surrendered heart. And when you think of the word of surrender, I mean, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? 
I think for a lot of people, it's giving up. Not good enough. Maybe pride comes to mind. I'm not going to give up. I'll lose face. The process of surrendering what the Bible calls transformation, it's not an instantaneous thing. And it's painful most of the time. Because it means we've got to let go of stuff that we've had for a long time. And that can be very painful. There's an example, um, going back to sort of the games, the Olympic Games. In the ancient uh, Olympics, there was a boxer named Agathos Damon, if I can pronounce that right. And his epitaph on a funerary monument in Olympia said, Here he died boxing in the stadium, having prayed to Zeus for wreath or death. Age 35. Farewell. He didn't have to die that, that guy. But the honour of dying in the ring rather than giving up was too great. There is no honour when we keep clinging on to stuff. Satan wants you. And he wants me. It wants everybody else to be intimidated by the process of surrendering. He knows that sense of intimidation will keep us from willingly offering our lives and our heart, soul, body, everything to God. And his number one goal, once he knows that he has lost us eternally, is to render us ineffective. ineffective for God to use us. So that's quite a different, I mean, when we spoke about grace last time, we are covered by grace. But if we're rendered ineffective, what does that mean? That means that maybe other people will not learn to come to that point of receiving that grace. Satan is cunning. Satan is clever. He's not going to rest. The spiritual battle is not over. We may be saved by God's grace. But that's no reason to rest on our laurels. The key to spiritual transformation is meeting God in our vulnerability. When you go to a doctor, you don't go to a doctor and say... Doctor, I've come to see you. I've just come to see you to say, I'm feeling great. Um, Yeah, my arms are working fine. My legs are working fine. I don't have any headaches. Yeah, everything's great. You don't go to a doctor to say everything's great. You go to a doctor to say, well, actually, I've got a pain. I've got this. I've got something else. You're vulnerable with them. That's what God wants. He doesn't want you to go to him saying, everything's great when clearly some things are not great. Coming to God just as we are is absolutely instrumental in gaining a fresh and unburdened beginning. The Apostle Paul had a moment of surrender 
when he was on the road to Damascus and met Christ. However, surrendering isn't a one-time event. Because Paul says later on, I die daily. There is a moment of surrender and there is a practice of surrender. Which is moment by moment and lifelong. In Luke 9.23 it says, Then he said to them, All, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Maybe that's why Jesus said, Give us each day our daily bread. He did not teach them to say, Fill us once and for all. Or feed us when we choose not to feed ourselves. He said the complete opposite. He said, give us each day. This is paramount. Not only in our relationship with God, but also in our relationship with each other. Our ability to surrender our burdens over to another begins with a relationship built on trust. Coming before God daily and making him a part of our needs develops this relationship. So what's holding you back? I can think of a number of things for myself. But what it all comes down to is fear. Fear is what holds us all back. Because otherwise, why would you be so bothered about giving something up. You're frightened of something. The question is, what are you frightened of? Are you big enough to admit what you're frightened of? The world strangles us with so many different things, convinces us that we know what we're doing. But I tell you what, everybody has to sort of meet their maker at the end. Whether you believe him or not. Whether it's worries. Wounds from your past. Perhaps wrongs that you've committed. What people call sin. All these things can hold us back. Weaknesses. Maybe we think we're just not good enough. We're just not capable. We co- what does God want with us? In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 9, it says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. The point is, you're good enough. If Paul was sort of talking about this, and he was, look at all the books he wrote in the Bible, look at the influence that he had. You are just as capable. You've just got to give it all to God to realise it. And the one that sort of I can sort of struggle with It's sort of about giving sort of my wishes and my dreams over to God. Because that is something where, well, you kind of think, will I be upset by it? Because I've kind of put my heart towards that. 
What happens if you say no? I don't know. That's I kind of tugs at my heart. The possibility that my hopes aren't his hopes. I think that reveals something. I think that reveals that obviously I'm not at that point focused purely on God. I'm focused on myself at that point. So that is a fear coming out that I'm not willing to sort of give up something that that's my dream. And that's not to say God obviously wants to bless us immeasurably. The point is we can't often see that because we're looking at something quite different. We're looking at the here and now and he's looking at the future and thinking, you know, I've got this fantastic plan laid out for you. Will you come along with me? I'm going to help you through. I mean, looking at the guys in the Bible in the Old Testament, Moses, Joseph, all these people who kind of had their doubts, had their, I'm not good enough, I can't speak properly. They tra- he transformed them. At that point, he could use them. Because he said, well, in that weakness, I'm going to show the people that I'm God. Do we have that faith? To, do we believe that God can use us in our weakness? Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. The more we trust God in our lives, the clearer our path becomes. And I know certainly for myself, if things are clear, I'm generally happier than if things are a bit fuzzy and I'm kind of, well, I'm not quite sure what's going on in life at the moment. If things are clear... There's nothing to think about. You just go and do it. There's something appealing about that. But it's our choice in the end. It's entirely our choice. That's what we've been given that choice. If you don't surrender your dream, you're placing yourself higher than God. And that can only end in misery, I think, at the end kind of realise at a certain point in life that well why did I do that what was the point and at that point a lot of life has been wasted which you could have been receiving a lot of blessings and joy it's time to lay bare the deep seated issue that affects us all that of fear we've got to let go of it whether we realise it or not we've become a greater or lesser degree moulded by the world. The world introduces fear. See it all around in the news. It's just pushing you, taking away your choice. You think you've got a choice? It's been taken away from you. Don't do this. Don't do that. You'll be mugged on that corner. Watch out for these people. There's wars all over the place. A lot of that is built upon sort of propaganda, sort of putting fear into people to make them do things that they never thought they'd do. And I think it's quite fitting with uh, what Mambo was saying before, uh, with the genocide in Rwanda, because that was built upon fear. Fear that some people are going to take some things away from other people. What stops you being 
person you are, being the person you can be, you have a choice. In Isaiah 8, verses 11 to 13, it says, This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. See, we are capable of incredible things for God. More than we can know. In Acts chapter 4 verse 13 it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Ordinary men doing extraordinary things. What made them so capable was that courage that courage that only came from Christ. The ability to overcome fear. We have the spirit and the power to make this year and beyond something huge for God. We are capable of amazing things, but we can't do these things sitting on our hands. Have you ever sat on your hands? You know that feeling after a while when you sit on your hands? They start to fall asleep. You start getting these pins and needles sort of happening in your hands. You've got to move them to, to get them going again. I think that's what we can be like. We've gone asleep. And we've got to get moving. Reawaken. Get that sort of blood circulating again. Get away from that numbness. If we sit in our hands, nothing's going to change. We need to move on. We need to just let go. Before we pray, thy kingdom come, we must pray, we must pray, my kingdom go. If there is one thing I have learned, is that taking my sticky fingers off the controls and yielding to God is a good thing. Whenever I do that, things generally work out. The longer I hold on, the more pain, the more anguish, the more a lot of other things sort of creep in. I'm just making things worse for myself. But it's not passive, it's hard work. It's something that you've got to sort of initiate and sort of be part of. You can't just sort of ride with it, it won't work. It takes practice on a daily basis. And with it comes the peace that transcends all understanding. Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray as the song leaders come up. Dear Father, Lord, you are an incredible God. Um, You put marvellous things in the scriptures to sort of awaken our hearts and move us forward, Lord. You've given us so much, Lord, and all we've got to do is open our eyes and listen, and things will be revealed to us. I pray, Lord, that 
we can be moved by the scriptures today, Lord, that we no longer sit on our hands and become numb, but we become active and seeking to serve you in all things. We pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you can all stand for a closing song. And in response to letting go and letting God take control, we're going to sing the song, King of Heaven. Let your kingdom come.